This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 300, with Rose Wetzel, American Ninja Warrior, professional obstacle course racer, and Shameless Mom. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 300. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Okay, before we dive in and talk to Rose, who I'm so excited to share with you and so, so honored to have as our 300th episode guest, I have to tell you two little things. First of all, thank you, thank you, thank you. We made it to 300 episodes because of all of you who show up, who share the show, who send me emails, who contribute to our Facebook community, who just constantly spread the shameless love. And I could not appreciate you more and be more grateful for you. I am so blessed and so excited about everything that this show has done for my life and for your life and the direction that we're going over the course of the next year and the next 100 episodes. So, so much love for every single mama who has hopped on this shameless adventure with me. Next up... If you are feeling a little overwhelmed by the new year, I need you to join me on Sunday. There's literally, I think, like four spots left for this. But on Sunday, I am hosting our first annual, which I think will become a recurring annual, Plan and Prep Pajama Party. So if you are someone who needs help mapping out a plan, and I'm laughing because I've literally never done this before until this year, 
I mapped out a super specific plan that feels simple and manageable, but has gotten me really pumped up about the year. And especially since having a child, I really have not taken the time to do this. And I've spent the whole year kind of feeling like I'm flying by the seat of my pants and playing catch up, but no more. So if you want some support building your blueprint and building out your strategic plan for 2019, you need to be at our virtual workshop, the 2019 Plan and Prep Pajama Party. So go ahead and pop over to shamelessmom.com forward slash pajama party and see if there's any spots left and you can join us. I really would love to have you there. And I know that the exercises that we're going to go through and the templates I'm going to give you to plan out your year are going to be life changing and life giving. And all right, here we go. Let's talk about Rose Wetzel. So I found out that Rose was pregnant a couple years ago. I think it's probably been about two years ago that she got pregnant. And I sent her a message and I was like, oh my gosh, you're a shameless mom now and you have to come on my podcast. So to back up even further in that, Rose and I used to work together when she lived in Seattle. We worked as personal trainers at the same studio. And prior to that, I worked with her husband before he and Rose even met at the only big gym job I ever had. So my history with Rose, I feel like it's kind of long and kind of awesome. And so as soon as I found out she was going to become a mom, I knew I wanted to have her come on the show and I knew she was going to have a really amazing perspective because unlike any other moms who've been on the show, she's a ridiculously competitive athlete. She's been on American Injury Warrior, I believe three times. I know she just submitted her video to get on a fourth year in a row. She's also a professional obstacle course racer, which means that she does all those obstacle course races where you have to like jump in freezing cold water and climb across crazy things and race through fire and like all that. She does those things and she freaking wins them. She's amazing. She is a beast and a warrior of the best kind. So I was so excited to get her on the show. Let me tell you a little bit about Rose. As the Stack It Mama's founder, Rose Wetzel loves empowering women when they feel the most vulnerable after giving birth. At least that's when she felt the most vulnerable. A personal trainer and professional athlete as an obstacle course racer specializing in Spartan races and American Ninja Warrior, Rose has to stay fit for her livelihood. Getting paid to work out probably sounds nice, right? But after a random post-delivery complication and emergency surgery to remove an ornery placenta set her back many months, she had to start from scratch to build her fitness and her core strength again while working through postpartum depression and worrying about her husband's rare cancer returning. Luckily, it hasn't. She tried all the tools in her trainer toolbox, and she didn't feel like she was getting efficient results. So she got creative, and one day something clicked. In fact, it worked so well that not only did she get her strength and her career back on track, but she realized her new calling to focus on helping women feel fit, energetic, and confident after having a baby and make sure that their results lasted. Her new method called the stack it method flips traditional working out on its head and says that before we can get in a great workout and have the discipline to eat healthy, we need energy. The foundation of the stack it method is self care by consistently and purposefully recharging. We store up energy to work out well and eat well sustainably for a lifetime of fitness. Day one of her program is 30 to 60 minutes of self-care. Sounds great, right? So that means that you can tell your husband that watching Netflix or taking a bubble bath or getting a pedicure is the first day of your new fitness program. So Rose has a free Facebook group set up for Stack It Mamas that I will link to in the show notes because I want you all to go over there and check it out. I also want you to follow her on social media. She's beyond inspiring and the most humble, humble athlete you will ever meet. Like every time you see her on a podium, she's thanking a million other people and giving herself very little credit for the hard work that she puts in to get there. 
So I'm so, so honored that she decided to come on the show, talk about her journey, talk about how she shamelessly got here after being raised in a family of nine kids, after being a competitive athlete her entire life, and also having to work her way back through some pretty big obstacles to get herself back onto her obstacle race course. So I want you to listen in to hear Rose share how being the youngest daughter of nine kids shaped her life, her rock bottom postpartum moment she took to Facebook Live to share with the world how she clawed her way out of postpartum depression and back to the podium, the impact of childbirth and motherhood on the life of a professional athlete, her mindset resets around not reaching her biggest goals in the last year, and how she's preparing for her upcoming year of racing an American Ninja Warrior. So friends, let me introduce you to Shameless Mom, Rose Wetzel. Rose Wetzel, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm pumped to be here. This is going to be so fun. I have to warn everyone, we're both super fast talkers. (laughs) So people are going to have to keep up. They can always slow down the speed on their podcast app to keep up with us if they need to. So I'm delighted to have you here and honored to have a few moments of your day. I want you to go ahead and tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life right now beyond your bio and what you're most excited about. I am basically juggling being the best mom that I can be and being the best athlete that I can be. And it's not always pretty. People were like, oh, you know, you're so fit before you had a baby. You're going to bounce right back. And I'm like, for a year, it was like the only thing bouncing was my boobs. (laughs) I have been scraping and clawing my way back and it has been ugly And I have put everything I've had out there and I feel like I'm motivated to help other women who are trying to do both and do both well. And I also want to be a good example to my daughter. So she has seen me scrape and claw and cry and work really, really hard and just keep pushing even when things were tough. And I think that's a valuable lesson that you can't really learn in the classroom. Oh my gosh, totally, totally. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like 
a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. So you like figuring out how to scrape your way to the top is not super new to you. (laughs) And this isn't like the first time you have faced adversity and been like, I'm going to just figure out how to do this no matter how ugly it gets. So before we even dive into motherhood, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of your life before motherhood and how you have pushed yourself so hard to like beat the odds and become this world-class athlete? Sure. Well, let's just start with my mom. She had nine children. (laughs) Holy smokes. And so I grew up in a family with nine kids and I was the second to youngest, the youngest female. And it was a traditional family, a lovely family, quite dysfunctional. And that's not anything disrespectful. That's just a fact. And so basically, you know, I had to find ways to get attention and somehow I ended up really enjoying running. And I have this theory that in my family, not that everyone's an athlete by any stretch, but a lot of us have traveled a lot, even without a lot of money. And I have this sociology theory that we were rewarded with freedom and we weren't rewarded with money. We weren't rewarded with food. None of us are really overweight. None of us are really rich, but we've traveled a lot. So anyways, I loved freedom. It's like do a bunch of dishes and laundry and then you can run outside and that's your reward. So I've always associated running outside with Yay, mommy and dad are happy. I get to go be free. So this love of running took me into high school with a little bit more confidence. I mean, I was pretty insecure as a kid, definitely tomboy. But I was a state champion my sophomore year in high school, and that really did a lot for my self-esteem. 
And it also garnered me a scholarship to Georgetown, which was such a wonderful experience. And from there, I had a time period after college where I worked at a summer camp and I may have gained about 20 pounds, had a wonderful time. But basically, I'm still running and not necessarily winning races, but having a good time running in costumes and tried to make the Olympic trials in track and field and middle distance and didn't make it. And then a friend of mine said, hey, you should try obstacle course racing. I've been working as a personal trainer, as you know, Sarah, with you. Yes, we got um, to work together for a few years over in Seattle. So fun. Yeah. yeah. And my friend was like, you know, you're strong for a runner. Try it out. So I tried it. I was so unbelievably exhausted by the time I was done. Not only was I running through the woods, but I was climbing on ropes and crawling under things and flipping tires. And I was so exhausted. I was like, that was amazing. I want to do it again. (laughs) So I was totally hooked. And that led me to do American Ninja Warrior and this just this amazing experience as a professional obstacle course racer. So cool. And I remember when you were, I think around the time that you'd went to Olympic trials was right around the time that I ended up moving to a different location to train. So we were no longer working together. And I remember watching that. And I remember seeing that shift when it was like, well, I didn't get this thing over here. Like I didn't get the Olympics, but oh, holy cow trials, by the or, way, I've got right, it. Inter- right. I didn't even make the Olympic trials. So. Right. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get the Olympic trials yeah. in yeah. my mind. That's the Olympics because for anyone oh, yeah. who's never <laughs> tried to qualify for anything, they're basically the same. in your world. It's totally different. In my world, yeah. I'm like, that's the same. So, but seeing you not get that and then have this shift into something where you found like, it wasn't like you didn't just lay down. You tried something else and then that was the thing where you like were on the podium over and over and over again. And I'm sure that was so exhilarating and felt like here's my new place. Like here's my place where I can perform at the best to the best of my ability and be recognized for my performance. Yeah. And it's nice to be recognized for your performance, right? Yeah. You put in a lot of effort. I mean, I love to just run and train because it's healthy and I feel good. But it was that way as a kid that I got that extra attention in my family and Attention has a negative connotation, the word attention, but it's okay to want to be recognized. It's okay to want to feel special, feel loved. And so, yeah, I was able to get that through obstacle course, well, through running at first and then obstacle course racing and just have met some amazing people. And it also fits my personality more because I'm, for better or for worse, like good at chaos. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's like, we're doing an obstacle course race and boom, here's a new obstacle I've never seen before. And it's like, okay, well, here I go. So, Yeah. I love that you say you're good at chaos. So that's a good segue because if motherhood is nothing, if not chaotic, so that's a good segue into motherhood. So you leading up to getting pregnant were obstacle course racing, doing really well, performing really well, making the podium, going to the world championships. And then you got pregnant and what were your expectations? Like, how did you foresee motherhood looking and how did you imagine? I always joke that like, I thought I would have a baby and just cuddle the baby in one arm while I worked from home and with my free hand. And that didn't happen at all. It was like awful. It was nothing like that. (laughs) I want to know what yours looked like, what your expectations were. Were you like going to put the baby in an ergo and go run 13 miles or what were you thinking it would play out like? And then how did it actually play out? What was the reality of motherhood for you? Yeah, it's great to be optimistic at the same time. (laughs) Sometimes a dose of reality is needed. And, you know, I'm going to say everything I'm about to say with the most utter love for my daughter. Of course, I would not trade her in for the world, but it was a hard. I mean, even before diving into trying to come back to the level of athleticism I had before, let's just say just from day one, I could not believe how hard breastfeeding was. (laughs) 
I mean, it was like, talk it's about like endurance the event. hardest obstacle course race ever. It's just feeding your baby. Yeah. And I didn't take like the class in it. Cause I was like, come on, breastfeeding. Like that's what animals do that. Like that's gotta be the most natural <laughs> thing. That's how we kept babies alive before, you know, formula was invented even. And now I'm like, formula is my friend. <laughs> but um, yeah, breastfeeding alone was so just hard. And then just, yeah, just, you know, you never know how your baby's going to sleep or how it's going to change the dynamics of your relationship if you're even in one. Most people are, but not everyone. And it just, it was definitely, slap on the face isn't fair to say because that sounds so much more <laughs> negative than it really is. Maybe cold water. But it water probably felt face. like that, but it probably felt that way some days where you thought like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like. And it feels like, I think a slap in the face is it's almost like motherhood is like making fun of you, like laughing at you and like taunting you. Like you thought this was going to be so cute and snuggly and fun yeah. all the time, but ha ha, it's not. Like, yeah, you and your Wonder Woman costume. Right, <laughs> totally, totally. For those of you who yeah. don't follow Rose on social media, which you should, you have a legacy of like running in superhero costumes and like racing as Wonder Woman and all this. And so to go from there to like, I can barely feed my baby and I'm crying yeah. all the time. Oh, I, was, <laughs> I was dressed up as Wonder Woman for a maternity photo shoot in my ninth month of pregnancy. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I'm like Wonder Woman. I'm super motivated. I can handle this. I can do this. I've been babysitting since I was 11. Yeah, you don't get paid to be a parent. <laughs> it's not the same. So, I mean, everything was harder than I thought. And then sometimes it's just like, how can this be so hard? But then... And how do people have even more than one kid? It's just so hard. But then that little baby just gives a little smile and your entire heart melts and you're like, oh my gosh, I've been up for five hours in the middle of the night and my nipples are bleeding, but this smile is okay. <laughs> right. and you just get such a rush off of it that it's yeah. just such a roller coaster ride. And I love roller coasters, but good gracious, not at like 3 a.m. <laughs> right. So, so you- yes. You it's totally harder. And talk about how motherhood impacted you professionally, because I know that when you are an athlete at the level that you are and you're a sponsored athlete, like you have commitments to show up at races on specific dates and do yeah. well for your sponsors and like represent brands and things like that. And I know you had committed either before pregnancy or during pregnancy to certain races in a pretty short time period after having Taylor. And so what was the impact of motherhood on those professional obligations? Yeah. So, I mean, let's think about it. Having a baby, racing physically. I mean, it's <laughs> having a baby can affect someone's, you know, exhaustion and energy levels and have them unable to use their brain as well at work. Oh, of course. But literally having a baby in your body and then giving birth and then trying to run and strength train. I mean, it's so physical having yeah, a baby. Yeah. And then my job is so physical that that puts an obvious dent in the you know ability to train and race well. Luckily, my sponsors, and I just have to give them a second of love, Cliff Bar and Beat Elite, Human Octane. I mean, they're people, not just companies. They're people yeah. who believed in me, kept with me when I was pregnant, kept with me, knowing that you know there's probably a good chance I'm not going to be winning races right out of the delivery room. So I appreciate that. You I know? mean, you practically tried to do that. <laughs> You know, I will say this one expectation versus reality. I actually had a better race two months after having a baby than I did six months after. And at first I was like, oh, I don't feel so bad. Like, 
I can do this. But then like the months and months of months of energy zapping, yes, deep totally. deprivation kicked in. Totally. And I was like, oh my gosh, why is it so hard right now? Months like four to nine, I'm poking my eyeballs out thinking, am I ever going to be able to feel fast and strong again? So that was one myth or just experience I had that I was not prepared for. But yeah, I mean, obviously it's hard. It's hard energy-wise and, and sleep-wise, I actually had time because my husband is amazing and he is also currently not employed outside the home. He's been job searching for so long. I don't know why it's taken forever, forever. He had cancer three years ago now and so he stopped personal training and you know, we all work together. And he took a few months to have to recover from this 12-hour surgery, rare abdominal cancer. He's fine now. But yeah, he had some personal training clients after that. But a lot of people had to move on to someone else. Anyways, at some point he had some training clients, but I was like, you know, we planned on moving, which is wonderful and terrible idea with this (laughs) four month old. But anyways, I was like, you know, if you can just help me through the fourth trimester instead of trying to like get some temporary extra work before we move in a few months, that'd be awesome. So we did. And he is such a stellar dad. I mean, I was nursing, so I was still, you know, feeding Taylor at night, but he would like wake up and bring her to me because he was a light sleeper anyway. And I probably would have slept through everything (laughs) I'm shameless, I know, but hey, I'm a heavy sleeper, man. But my point being, I had time because of his, and I didn't even have as much mom guilt as people would normally have because I knew she was with her dad, who's amazing. So I feel like I had that going for me, but I was so tired. She woke up so many times every night and just so sleep deprived and exhausted that it was hard to really like, like imagine like being like, okay, I'm going to go out and have this epic workout. Like, here we go. But really all I want to do is climb in bed, suck my thumb and sleep till Tuesday. Right. Right. So it's just like, how am I going to be able to do this? So five and a half months of breastfeeding, and I was just like, this trajectory is not going in a good direction. And so Tim took over the night shifts with formula, which helped a ton. But still, I still hear her crying, you know, to some yeah. degree. Anyways, yeah, were things exactly as I planned? No. <laughs> <laughs> was it a complete and utter exercise in patience and humility for an entire year plus? Yeah. And that's good sometimes. Like sometimes it's good to have that time to say, do I really want this? I'm being challenged right now. I'm not winning. I'm not podium. I'm not having people say you're so amazing. I just have to do this because I want to do it because I believe in myself because I believe it's something that's good. And while I wasn't curing cancer running around in the mud, at the same time, I feel like if my working out and my training and racing, especially when I'm doing it through a difficult period, like having a baby, if that inspires others to persevere and work out and exercise and be healthy, then maybe that's like hearing cancer in that it's preventing cancer. Right. If that makes any sense. You know, maybe we personal trainers, as silly as it sounds, are kind of like pre-doctors. Maybe people who are athletes and inspire others to be athletic, you know, are kind of, you know, making the world a healthier place kind of before disease and sickness sets in. Yeah. Maybe not. But that's kind of what I, what I, I love thought. that perspective. I love Yeah, that. on the days it was like, it's really like, it's freezing cold to move from Seattle to Colorado, just because it would be a better place to train. And, you know, so cold. I have no running partners. I have a four or five month old baby who still needs so much care. And it's just like, why am I doing this? And you just have to have a good reason. Like, I like to say that if someone's really motivated for a particular goal, It's important to have a diversified portfolio of motivational reasons to do it because some days just thinking about like, oh, I want to, you know, lose 10 pounds so I can fit into my jeans better. That's great. That's a great goal. But 
there might be a cold, wet, rainy day where you're like, I don't care that much. <laughs> you're like, sweatpants <laughs> are good. <laughs> really hard class. But maybe if you signed up to do your first ever triathlon with your friends, maybe that would be enough to say, oh, I've got to go do this workout because I'm committed and I don't want to be the only one who doesn't show up and do it. Right. So I found as a personal trainer, and Sarah, I'd be so curious if you found the same thing, but do you feel like people are more motivated when they have that secondary goal? So most people want yes. to lose weight, you know, to some degree if they're coming to a trainer, but do you ever feel like people who have another goal, like I want to be able to finish a half marathon or I want to be able to, you know, do a pull up or something that they have more success because they're not just focused on the scale? Yes. And I also think attaching goals to feelings, because I think a lot of times we have goals around vanity related things that are connected to like a certain number on the scale, a certain pant size, losing X amount of pound, like those kinds of things. And I think sometimes if we think of the feeling, so the feeling of crossing a finish line, the feeling mm -hmm. of standing on a podium, the feeling of doing a race with a friend, the feeling of getting the first pull up, any of those things that when you think about what that will feel like and kind of the ripple effect of the impact of that accomplishment in your life, I think that can be really motivating. And that's, I think we don't push ourselves to that place very often. I think we often just think of like the most immediate kind of superficial level of the goal and what meeting it would mean. But I think when you attach it to feeling, it can be much more powerful and impactful. Yes, I agree. I love that. The empowerment <laughs> that comes with, hey, I can lift my suitcase up into the luggage spot in the plane myself. I can open the jar of peanut butter. I mean, I've heard that especially women actually find more empowerment in getting strong than just losing weight. Now, the two can can usually come hand, or at least getting strong usually means losing weight in general because your metabolism is raised in the process. Now, obviously, this depends on nutrition and stuff as well. But there's something to be said, at least I think, and I know I'm not the only one, there's something to be said for feeling capable. Yes, totally. Strong, powerful, and capable. Like that's what I was saying. Yeah. When you feel strong, powerful, and capable physically, that transfers into every area of your life. So yes. then you're like, okay, if I feel strong, powerful, and capable physically, then also I'm going to be like more likely to go for a raise or go for a promotion or speak up when something doesn't feel right at work or in a relationship or in a friendship. I mean, the impact of that is huge and lifelong and life-changing. Totally. Well said. <laughs> Bingo. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I want to talk about a video you posted. So this was, you'll have to remind me how old Taylor was somewhere between maybe six and nine months. Yeah. You posted, <laughs> yeah. So you went on Facebook live, I think it was, and you were in the middle of a training run and you were like sitting on this hillside, I think just crying and talking. And it was like watching it was like therapy for me. It was amazing. And it was basically just like you kind of talking about all the thoughts in your head as you were in the middle of this training run and you were overwhelmed and exhausted and frustrated, I think a little bit. I don't want to put words and feelings in your mouth, but oh, that, oh, was, oh, <laughs> that was the sense that I got from it. And you were like, I'm fine, everyone, but this is so hard. And I didn't expect it to be so hard. And I'm like taking time, you know, away from my baby to be out here to train, but it's really hard and I'm not as fast as I want to be and not as strong. So talk about that video a little bit. And so I watched the video live and then I remember immediately reaching out to you and being like, oh my gosh, like, are you okay? And which I'm like, she probably does not want 300 people being like, are you okay? Are you okay? But I remember we kind of started a little bit of a conversation about postpartum depression. And then you talked more about that as you got further down the road. So can you talk a little bit about that video and what postpartum depression has looked like for you and kind of how it manifested and how you've worked through it? 
Sure. And I would love to, because it's such a pervasive experience. Not that everyone has it, but it happens enough that I feel like we do need to have more communication around it. Otherwise, people feel completely isolated, which yeah. doesn't contribute well to postpartum depression. Right, right. Getting over it, you know, working through it. So, yeah, that was my rock bottom moment. Mm. Basically, what had happened was... I had had five watches break on me, <laughs> five running watches, <laughs> literally three of them needed a charger that I just couldn't find after the move. One had a, like a dead, dead battery. And when the fifth one died for good, I just on a run that was already like a slow run. I mean, granted, I was at altitude too, so everything felt even slower, but it just was like, am I ever going to be able to do this and do this well again? I mean, I was paying for my entire little family's income on this, you know, like this is my job, you know, yeah. so there's pressure and all that. But um, I just remember thinking like, are you trying to make me quit? And then I was like, you know what? Fine. All five of my running watches are broken. Instead of taking this as a sign for me to quit, I'm going to take this as a sign for me to stop running with the watch that's telling me how slow I'm going and telling me how <laughs> I'm And I'm just going to go back to what I did after college, which is just run by feel, enjoy the run as much as I could with more of a sense of gratitude than anxiety over not running fast enough or far enough or all that. But basically, yeah, I had this rock bottom moment that I had took a couple of days to work through. And, you know, I've been lucky in Seattle. I have really amazing friends, an awesome family and in Colorado, I just didn't have that network yet. I've met some awesome people. It's building up. But basically going on Facebook Live was almost like my way of connecting with my friends, you know. Yeah. And so I didn't plan it. I just turned it on and I just started talking. And maybe it was the Catholic upbringing in me to like confess. <laughs> <laughs> the <church>. <laughs> but um, <laughs> for some reason, I just turned it on and went with it and it was, and I've had plenty of therapists in my life, so there is something about just talking yeah. that that is therapeutic. And, and I wasn't asking anybody for an answer or a solution. I just was getting some thoughts off my chest, and then it's not that I was wanting people to respond in any way or tell me their experiences, but I think probably some part of me subconsciously knew that that would happen, that there would be support, that I'm not the only one having a tough time after having a baby. Yeah. And so it did, it did. It helped to have people reach out and say, oh, I've been their sister. Yes, you're going to be fine. The world feels harder than it really is, but hang in there, keep plugging away. It will get better. And so hearing all that really did help. But yeah, I just I went up there on that mountain and I basically said, I looked around and saw this beautiful it wasn't an extremely cold day. It was just a beautiful day. And I looked out and I saw this beauty and I thought, why can't I just be happy looking at this beautiful mountain? I have a job where I'm paid to exercise. Are you kidding me? Like, and I was almost being too hard on myself, perhaps. I have an amazing baby, an awesome partner, like, you know, whack, whack, stop. How can you feel depressed in any way? You have it all. But that's not how depression works. Right. Right. So often people who feel depressed, I mean, there's a chemical imbalance. Look, mental illness runs in my family. I knew I was going to be possibly a candidate for it. I had a little bit of quarter life crisis, like after college, like what do I do with my life type of depression or just kind of, yeah, frustration or just, you know, anxiety or whatever you want to call it. What do I do with my life now? So I wasn't shocked that I would feel it. And in fact, I talked to Tim about, hey, if you see me feeling this way or that way, let me know, you know. And I remember going home and looking up the signs of postpartum depression. There were seven of them, and I qualified for the first five. It was like, 
feeling overwhelmed, crying for no reason, just, you know, boom, 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 loss of interest in things you used to love to do. I used to love to run and now it's like, oh, I have to, you know. And the last two were thoughts of harming self, thoughts of harming baby. And I was like, I have not felt either of those, but I sure as hell I'm not going to wait around to those feelings yeah, yeah. <laughs> potentially set and if that's my trajectories. So that's when I just had that talk to myself and was like, okay, you know, don't run with a watch. And, you know, I reminded myself that, you know, my sponsors are not focusing on you need to win this race by this time or be podium. They're to support me and they would rather see me sharing my story and inspiring other people in the community than be someone who wins races, shows up, wins a race and leaves and is a hermit and shares nothing about their life. That they're not looking for winners, they're looking for positive people who will share their experiences. And I knew that deep down and I had to remind myself of that. But yeah, I mean, it was a rough time, but I tried to just focus on one day at a time and spring came and I fostered a little fitter, taking some pressure off myself and slowly but surely my baby started sleeping a little bit better too. And I started getting to know some people and I, I kind of dove into the community a little bit more in Colorado and that helped too, because as you can see, I like to talk. I mean, I think I've really talked for like the last 10 minutes straight, but I need people to talk to. But so yeah, it, things did get better, but it was a struggle. Yeah. You make some really, really good points about the issue of connection and the issue of like rest and rejuvenation. And I think that we can be so hard on ourselves, especially in that first year when you're sleep deprived after a certain point, you're like, I'm not tired. I'm fine. Like you get so acclimated to sleep deprivation that you don't see the impact of it until you're out of it. And then you're like, oh my God, I was a disaster. But at the time when you're in it, you're like, this is fine. I'm totally functional. It's fine. And you don't yeah. see it till later. So you're like, I don't have postpartum depression. Like I just need to like chill out a little bit and get over it. And I think that your point of like, as your baby starts to sleep more, then you get like some rest and recovery, which allows you to get more in touch with yourself. And then as you connect with other people and share your story, you get again, like a little bit of connection. And then for you being able to connect with people on a local level and feel like you are building those friendships and relationships, I can see how like each of those things would be, you know, it probably felt like you said one day at a time where it's just like a little tiny bit every day, like rebuilding your bank account of like energy connection and all those things. And then having your workouts start to follow too, where you can be like a little bit faster the next day and a little bit stronger the next day. And that's really, I think what it looks like when you're coping is it's like, you're hoping for maybe a 1% difference from one day to the next, not necessarily like I got eight hours of sleep and everything's totally fine. <laughs> Right. I will say, yeah, exactly. I just thought of one more thing that helps. So I'd say just sharing that video and having people reach out and say, hey, sister, I've been there. Hang in there. It's going to get better. That connection really gave me a boost. Did it fling me straight out of postpartum depression? No, but it really gave me a boost. Let's call it a 10% boost, right? And then, yeah, every day after that, it was just kind of like, okay, like just keep hanging in there, all that. And then my three best friends from college surprised me about two weeks later. We went out. I changed out of pajamas and running clothing. <laughs> I may have found makeup somewhere. I wore heels. I mean, these are things I hadn't done in, what, two years probably? Yeah. And we went out and we danced and we had fun. And it was so great to have that connection and just feel a bit like my old self again. So that was another like, you know, another you know, 10, 20% of like kind of clawing my way out right. of that 
postpartum whole. So you really hit the nail on the head when you talked about connection. You know, I'm super extroverted. I just love people. People give me energy. But that's not just me. Everyone needs connection on some level, just as humans. And maybe I'm high maintenance connection, but everyone needs some level of connection. So, you know, instead of thinking, oh, in order to do better at racing, I need to like really try to nap more often or nearly need to try to push through that last rep. Instead, I was better off saying, I'm going to go to this mom's group. And even if it means I don't get my core work done that day, it's still more important that I take care of myself socially, mentally, emotionally than doing that extra little thing. Like going out and having a couple glasses of wine with my new group of friends would actually be better for me than staying home and eating a kale salad with chicken. And it's like, <laughs> totally, you know, it's, totally. It's like, know thyself, right? And I know that I am a human who has. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Social needs. And so that connection was really crucial. You're right. I love that. I think that makes so much sense. And I love that you gave yourself the space to do that. And I hadn't thought about the like conflicting priorities when you're an elite athlete and like, you're thinking like, do I go out for a girl's night? Like, can I go out and have the cake and the wine or should I stay here and be like totally like in competitive race mode? Cause those conflicting priorities can be, I mean, that's like a whole nother layer of stress. Like, well, maybe I should just stay in and get a good night's sleep and, you know, have my water. But I think that for <laughs> someone with social needs and someone who's an extrovert and someone who thrives off energy from other people, like, yeah, you have to prioritize connection in real life and with people in real time, I think as well. I think that's super important. 
So, well, you are back. So now Taylor's won. You're back racing in full force and you qualified for the world championships. You just got back from the world championships. Tell us where things are at now and what is the journey looking like today? Like, where have you come from? from? From that place when those girlfriends came to surprise you, you started to get those workouts back feeling like they were strong again. You started racing better and feeling better. Connect the dots from there to today for us. Sure. On one hand, I could look at my year of racing and say, man, every single race I did, I fell short of where I wanted to place. And I had high expectations because I'm optimistic and I <laughs> really hard. And I should have recalibrated things as I went like, hmm, I got 18th place at my Seattle hometown race that I thought I could win nine months after having a baby. Well, maybe that means you're not also going to be like, but for some reason, I always had my eyes set on like, oh, but in Europe, there's this OCR World Championship and there's a 3K and a 15K and I've gotten fifth place in the world in the 15K before. But I know that may be hard because it's a longer race, but that 3K, like I come from a track background and I've done Ninja Warriors. I'm good at these, at the obstacles. So maybe I could win that. Maybe I'll do something epic. And like, I was clung to this idea of like, but I could still be a world champion the first season after having a baby. And so I went in with all this pressure on myself before this race. That was just this last weekend in London. And I'm usually like, you know, the only person smiling on the starting line because I've done over 200 races. Like I care about all of them, but I don't put so much pressure on one particular one usually. But I felt like I ended up, in retrospect, putting so much pressure on myself. Um, and not just because the sole inconvenient earner in my family at the moment, though Tim is getting close to getting a job, but because I wanted to show all the women who wanted to have a baby but not completely sacrifice their racing career, that it can be done. I wanted them to be like, oh, look, Rose had a baby, and then a little over a year later, she came back and she was world champion. Well, that would have been amazing. So on one hand, it's like, man, I got 12th place in that race and 11th place the following day. But the following day, I had so much fun because I took the pressure off myself and was like, you know what? I felt disappointed at first. And I was like, you know what? 12th place in the world after having a baby just over a year ago, not too shabby, Rose. Like, right. come on. <laughs> and I had good friends to be like, come on. Like, And then I had some friends who didn't even finish the race because they couldn't get through a particular obstacle. So I was like, okay, I really need to remember to like simmer down now and like be grateful for what you've done. So on the one hand, I could be like, oh, it was a, a year of total disappointment as far as races go. But on the other hand, just for like a cognitive reframe, my um, husband, Tim, as you know, he took a whole certification on hypnotherapy. So I've learned a lot from him Ooh. about psychology cool. yeah and that cognitive reframe it's like did you have a disappointing year or did you perhaps with all things considered my placenta didn't come out after I have a baby after I had my baby and I had to you know I lost so much blood I had two blood transfusions that set me back a bit and then not to make excuses but just things like I had an, uh, an ankle injury at some point around that kind of five or six months I believe seven months like with all these other things considered and, and just caring for a baby, you know, right. yes, when I was out running, Tim was caring for her, but when I'm home, I'm caring for her too. You know, we do yeah. a lot of things together. We both tackle the poopa diapers together and stuff. <laughs> but anyways, my point being, I could look at my year of racing after I had a baby and say, man, I fell short on every single results placing I wanted to. And even if it was like, oh, I wanted to win this one and podium at this one and it wasn't even just like I didn't win, but at least I podiumed or I didn't win, but at least I got top 10. It was like I didn't win and I got like 18. Like there was a lot of like, you know, 18, 16, all that type of places mm-hmm. um, and since I'm 11 and 12. But if I look at it with another lens and I say, hey, 
it was everything else considered, everything you're juggling in life, all the extra obstacles that came in. This could have been your most triumphant year yet. Yeah. You know, it's like you got to remember that raising a child is not easy. Dealing with an injury is not easy. All the blood loss, I mean, postpartum depression, none of that is easy. So if you take those life obstacles and dump them on top of raising a child, you know, it's something to be proud of. And so I'm going to choose to view my season through that lens because otherwise I could stay up at night and say, oh, man, like even just in this last race I did, I was 11th place at the OCR World Championship, and I was about, I think, five or six seconds behind 10th place. And I could have lay in bed and be like, oh, if only I'd done this faster, or I should have done this or that. But you know what? The person in front of me was a 40-year-old mother of two from South Africa. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. If that's all inspiring, like instead of yeah, being like, yeah. oh, man, I wanted to beat you at the very end, I am so inspired by her and focusing on how cool it is that, especially as my baby gets a little bit older, can do more things on her own, you know, the doors even open for me more to compete, compete well and compete with an even greater sense of gratitude and appreciation for what I've been through, but then also empowerment that like, man, I'm a mom and I'm up there kicking ass. Like that's what I want to be doing. So I love that. I love that reframe. And I think that's super powerful. I think that's so cool that Tim is doing hypnotherapy work. That's very cool. So, yeah. And so just a little like connection point for people, Tim and I worked together in like my second year as a personal trainer. And so Tim and I go way back and I knew Tim before I knew Rose and Tim was single. And I remember thinking before I met Rose, I was like, Tim is going to have an awesome wife someday. Like he was the oh. nicest guy <laughs> out of everyone that we worked with at that gym. I was like, he's like the nice guy here. He's the good guy. <laughs> so he is, man. He's and good guys good guy. finish first, man. Good guys <laughs> finish first. I don't care. You take your bad boys, you there, you have fun. <laughs> totally. Good, good, nice guy who's an Such awesome a good dad, yes. good partner. Oh, yeah. Good yes. cook. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. So we have to tell uh, Tim that Tim got some shameless dad time in this interview. I was, I was, I was, oh, yeah. When I told Tim, I was like, you should write a dad blog. There aren't that totally, many out there. Totally. I feel like he's such a good writer. He's actually, Tim he's has a an really amazing good writer. He does. He has an amazing blog about his cancer journey. And it's so his last name is Sinnett, as you know, mm-hmm. S-I-N-N-E-T-T. And it's Ray Sherpa Rises. And he just, whoo, talk about being positive through his experience. He is so inspiring. And I wouldn't say I'm as good a writer as he is because he really, truly has a gift. But I do like to write. And I am actually working on an ebook on postpartum mm-hmm. fitness. Nice. Partly because so many people have reached out to me and asked me about it. Probably you as well, I would imagine. And there just isn't that much out there. And I feel like, yeah. you know what? I made a lot of mistakes, but I did a lot of things right as well. And if I can just share my experience and help others navigate their way through the oh, roller coaster of the first year or two after having a baby, then I'd love to do that. Yes, I love that. I'll link to Tim's blog in the show notes for this episode too, so people can find that over awesome. in the show notes. So tell us, what is the next year going to look like? Have you figured out in the last year kind of not in the last year, maybe in the last few months, have you, yeah. <laughs> have you figured, figured out the magical formula? Now that you've kind of figured out how to get back your power and your strength and you're physically and emotionally in a stronger place, what are you anticipating in the next year? And given what you've learned, I mean, everything that you just said on like how you've reframed the last year, how does that impact what you're projecting for the upcoming year? Yeah. I mean, again, I'm always an optimist. So I see like really amazing things in the next year. You see first place podiums, right? <laughs> I mean, and yes, I'm competitive. 
And yes, obviously there's some ego to anything someone accomplishes. I mean, unless someone writes a book and doesn't put their name as the author, there's ego involved, you know, like, so yes, do I want to win? Is that fun? Winning is the best way that I found complete strangers to walk up and say the most wonderful thing to me. You know, actually, or being a good cook. If you're not, <laughs> if you're a really good cook, people are like, "Oh my gosh, you're amazing." Well, I'm not a good cook, so I. So, <laughs> so you don't have that. Hey. So now you just have to keep winning races. <laughs> That's the only hope. Yeah, but I also just love to personally really do my best and push myself and break those boundaries down because I feel like when I push myself athletically, it's like an exercising a muscle. It's like okay, I'm putting myself in an uncomfortable place, and it causes me or allows me to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And that sets me up to better be able to handle uncomfortable situations that I am not in control of. Like, hey, guess what? Your husband has cancer. Oh, excuse me. Okay. Like that I feel like was so difficult to swallow, yet I feel like I was better able to handle it because I had, you know, pushed myself in races and, and learned to like talk to myself in a positive way through a difficult time if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. And you'd proven yourself, like you'd proven how mentally strong you could be. Sure, yeah. I had a confidence in that regard. Like when you have other people being like, you're amazing, you're so strong. I mean, hopefully you don't get a big head, but you start to feel like, hey, maybe I am special and maybe I really am like really mentally tough and come on, I can handle this. I mean, like having a baby, it was like, gosh, it sounds like it's really hard. But like, come on, if other people can do it, you can do it. And that's something that I wish I could bottle up and feed to everyone, that feeling of empowerment. Like you don't have to be an athlete. You don't have to be a good coach. I mean, just you just, right. you know, having that empowerment and faith and confidence in yourself. I happen to use athletics to get there, but there are many paths to the same destination. So totally. yeah. How are you parenting in a non-traditional way? You know, my daughter wears blue a lot. <laughs> I like to highlight her bright blue eyes and she's bald too, just like her mom was. <laughs> and sometimes people mistake her for a boy. And you know what? Tim and I have decided that's okay. You know, mm. we both love the color blue. I also love the color green. I'm not anti-pink, but it's just not one of my favorite colors. And so I just don't end up like gravitating toward pink stuff as much as someone else might. And I also kind of feel like, I don't know, maybe it's the sociology major in me that's like, observing, you know, marketing of companies, yeah. but it's like, of course, companies want you to think you have to buy blue for boys and pink for girls. They want you to buy double the clothing, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, hello, we're big suckers, you know, it's like, oh, well, I can't have my son wear anything pink. So after I have a daughter, I have to buy everything new again. Like, it's brilliant marketing. I'm not gonna lie. Right. I'm like, just not that we're necessarily playing to have another kid. Boy, at least not anytime soon. It's not even a conversation. <laughs> Tim's like 37 hours of labor. He's like, dude, don't even talk about it. It's too hard to get to where I am right now. But I feel like just in general, like why not go gender neutral is me. But some people out there absolutely love pink. That is great. Knock yourself out. What I choose to do is not indirect judgment on what someone else chooses to do if that's opposite of what I do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like sometimes it's just people just, you know, do what works for them in their situations and what they like. And that's great. Yeah. Yeah. How are you raising your daughter to be strong and fearless? You know, I whenever... mean, she's only one, but yeah. she's pretty she's damn so strong fearless. and fearless. The videos that you post of her. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's going to be strong one, strong willed, which is good. I remember what someone once saying, 
My daughter is strong-willed. I want to find a way to foster that so she can yeah. be potentially a good leader. I don't want to squash it, totally. but I also, you know, need to find the balance of like, you know, if she's talking back to me, you know, that's not okay. <laughs> so, you know, a sassy daughter, I mean, that could be a blessing and a curse type deal. But for me right now, she's so young. So she's not really like, you know, talking a ton, just a few <laughs> words, but I just try to like, whenever she falls down, I don't rush to her as if she's fragile, right? I mean, yes, she's a one-year-old, so she is fragile to some degree. But if she's just like walking, trying to walk and toddle around and falls down outside on the grass, like I don't rush to her like, oh, are you okay? I wait to see her reaction. And if for some reason she fell on a stick and is in pain, then yes, I will go and comfort her. She got hurt in some way. But if she just fell in the process of walking or kicking a ball or something, I'll just let her fall and get back up herself. Yeah. Is that hard for you? Because that was hard for me with Vinny to not be reactive to things and just mm -hmm. be like, oh, look, you fell. You're good. Like, yay, clapping. Clap. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like, oh, my God, do you have a concussion? <laughs> yeah. 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 That was um, not my no, I, I think I grew up eight to nine kids. No one was rushing to my side. And I mean, <laughs> it's lovely. at least my, my parents, I mean, I had wonderful siblings and wonderful parents, too. But like, right. let's face it, you know, <laughs> so I think I'm misused to like, you get up, you figure it out. But I think it's hard for Tim, perhaps. Tim is such a <laughs> wonderful and total softy. So hard to be like, okay, she's good. But yeah, no, he's so great. Funny. He's found a good balance. But no, it is hard. It's hard because we want to be like, oh, my baby. And then they get be, to be older and we're like, I want you to still be my baby even when you're like, you know, 16. And <laughs> oh my gosh. Old. I like make Vinny sit on my lap. I like cuddle him in the morning like he's 18 months old. Oh. <laughs> and I still, I'm trying to think of where we were recently. And it was like getting to me near bedtime and I picked him up when I was carrying him and I'm like, he's way too big. And I thought people are probably looking at me like, what are you doing? They're like, let the baby go. But I was like, no, like if he's going to let me carry him, I'm going to carry him. No, they're probably like, no wonder she has such great, strong looking arms. <laughs> she carries her kid. I'm carrying my kid who's in like the 90th percentile for height. So his feet are like dangling under my knees when I carry him. <laughs> that is awesome. I love it. Okay. So final question. This has been so great. And I love everything you've addressed so far, which is actually feeds right into where we're going to go with this. And you've given some great examples, but I want to know in what ways you are a shameless mom. Ooh, you know, I'm a shameless mom in that I make my own rules. I assess what's best for my family and I go with that. I'm not going to just, I've never lived in the box that was set out for me. The box set out for me in a very traditional family was domestic and I can't cook very well, so that, that was the window. <laughs> I can do laundry, that's it. But it was to be domestic, and it was to either have a lot of children or be a nun. Those were the options that I had, and I didn't fit into those boxes. It was the boys that were going to be athletic. You know, my dad's 90. I remember him coming home one day, he's like, oh, I saw some women playing soccer. They were so aggressive. It just grew up in a different era. You know, my mom and my mom's in her mid-70s. It was just something that I had to formulate myself. And now that I'm a parent, I'm going to continue to do that and say, not what's expected of me as a parent or my daughter as a child, but what's going to work for us. And obviously with Tim being in the mix with that as well. So, you know, it's also a matter of being shameless when I need to, as far as like with that video, when I was going through postpartum depression, like letting other people know how I'm doing so that they're able to reach out and help. Right. If you suffer in silence, no one knows. So be shameless. Let people know how you're doing and check in on your friends too, right? It can go both ways so we can create this 
nice community where we're all helping each other out because let's face it, when it comes to raising kids, it takes a village. Yeah. yeah. Of shameless moms. It does. <laughs> totally. I mean, I think it does in so many ways, starting with like you look at the moms who were around you when you were growing up, including your own. And then you look at the women who are mothering at the same time as you and how that influences you. I mean, it's really deep and impactful. Mm-hmm. So yes. this has been amazing. I love all the things that you've shared here. And I so appreciate you sharing kind of the inside of your journey and the personal details that you've shared. Cause I know that your story will inspire other women for sure. And I want everyone to follow you and connect with you. So where can people follow you, connect with you, reach out to you and kind of see your journey and see you on podiums as you come back over the next year? Woohoo! So I can be found on the trails, on playgrounds. <laughs> but yeah, on social media, I'm mainly on Instagram, just under at Running Rosie. And that's just R-U-N-N-I-N-G-R-O-S-I-E. And other than that, I'm on Facebook. I have an athlete page there and on Twitter, and it's just Rose Wetzel. So okay. nice, simple, and it's just at Rose Wetzel on Twitter, awesome. obviously. So yeah, I definitely, especially as the off-season approaches, I tend to like switch my focus a little bit more off of me and more on the people around me, and I miss being a personal trainer. I'm going to start doing that a little bit again because I think that I'm actually a better athlete when I have a couple hours a day where I'm completely focused on someone else's goals. Mm. And so in returning our, our place into a gym, our garage, so I can do it, nice. you know, a tailor around and stuff. So yeah, I hope to give a lot of hopefully insightful information to other people going through what I'm going through and can be found. Yeah, it'll be found awesome. on Instagram and Facebook. And if people are following you there, then they can see when you next announce that you're going to be on American Ninja Warrior as well, right? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Totally. Totally. And also everything really is on my website too. I need to do a little bit of updating, but rosewetzel.com is my website. And if I know more people are going to go there, it'll get me to <laughs> get my act together and do more vlogging. I'm going to send about 7,000 people there today. So. <laughs> Thank you. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Rose, for being here. I so appreciate you taking the time. I think I just heard Taylor in the background. So yeah. shout out to Taylor and to Tim. <laughs> I appreciate everything that you're doing and how you're showing up for women and for moms. It's amazing. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Sarah. You are doing so much with this podcast. So we all really appreciate you too. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. 
Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.